Here at the Sociology of Everything podcast, we acknowledge the people of Ghana Yarta, whose land this episode was mainly produced on, and whose past and present elders we pay our respects to. Hi, I'm Eric Sue. And I'm Lou Everest. And we're Lou and the Sue, and this is a podcast about sociology, brought to you by UniSA, the university that likes to publicize when it does well in the international university ranking charts. <laughs> you could say that about every university, though. That's true. That's just the quality of the yeah. modern university. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they like to tout that they're yeah. oftentimes in the 50 under 50 yeah. well, ranking I, chart. I think I like most how specific some of those things get. It's like, you know, we're in the top 20 of you know, happiness metric based on, like, <laughs> people who studied a certain subject. Yeah. Like, I also understand yeah. that, that UniSA does have the best sociology lectures. Oh, that's, that's a fact. <laughs> you don't need rankings to know that. It's just an inherent truth. In this episode, we're going to look at the work of Michel Foucault, who is a, one of the most noted French social theorists and social researchers of the 20th century. If any of you have come across the work of Foucault before, you'll note that his work is kind of frustrating to engage with. He's, he's not the easiest author to read. And, and even if you read some of his other more accessible texts, they can be really confusing mm. and full of jargon and, and full of very technical language. Yet, it's interesting to note that Foucault is widely read throughout the social sciences. Mm. And he's especially widely read in sociology. So what we're going to do in this episode is try to figure out why. And we're going to do that by honing in on one of his works. We're going to focus in on a lecture that he gave in a work of his called Society Must Be Defended. It's the lecture that was delivered on the 14th of January, 1976. And this is actually probably one of the most clearest um, pieces of Foucault's that I've ever come across. That probably tells you something about <laughs> some of his other pieces. And this piece really just, it's like a, it's like a greatest hits. Mm. Well, this reading sort of prior to him making some of the key points he makes in those lectures, and it's him summarizing, you know, the past ground he's covered. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of like at the start of the Sopranos episode, the recap. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you like me who are tired because yeah. I out late watching Sopranos last night. And in this work, he specifically focused on the, on the theme of power. Mm. And that's really what he's known for. And when people think about Foucault, they think about his innovative account of power. And the reason why Foucault is so widely read is because he's really good at turning things on their head. Mm -hmm. He's he's really good at offering a a non-conventional view of something. And so he's taking power as a starting point. And he's trying to theorize power in a slightly unique, unusual way. What is the conventional way we think of power usually, Louis? Well, the conventional way is that top-down form of power in which there's a monarch, a king or a queen, hmm. or um, more in a more modern version would involve a parliament or uh, even a judge, 
and they exercise power over a population underneath them. They pass laws, they make rulings, or yeah. they physically punish the people underneath them, and that is how power is expressed. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? Let's imagine we get transplanted somehow, we get mm. shot off in a rocket, and we land in a new planet with also other humans, mm. And we're sociologists and we're trying to like document what's going on. The conventional understanding of power means that we're probably going to ask, who's the boss? You know, who's the boss? Yeah. Who's in charge? Yeah. Right? That's right. And what laws are they passing or yeah. what, what decrees are they making? Yeah. What happens when you do the wrong thing? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm. And, but, but Foucault, he's not, he's not mm. content with that understanding mm. of power alone. Yeah. Well, I think the key thing is he says, you know, if you think about how power is actually exercised in a society, all of the different times in which someone influences someone else, someone controls someone else, or someone feels like they have to act in a certain way, can you describe all of those interactions as being based on a law passed by a parliament or a monarch punishing someone for misbehaving. No, you can't. There are so many different power relations in society. There are so many different interactions mm. in which power is expressed and people are influenced or controlled. This is neatly captured in Foucault's description of power, what he says, emanating throughout the social body. Yeah. He's trying to say that power doesn't just simply come from the top down. It comes from the bottom up. Yeah. And think about all the ways in which power is expressed in an everyday mundane fashion. Mm. It's people having struggles over things, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, I saw the other day um, these two kids. It kind of made me laugh a little bit. <laughs> these two kids that were like fighting over like a ball. Yeah. Okay. And Foucault would be like, that's power also. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? That's power also. Yeah. And... What Foucault's also trying to get us to think about, see, so he's, so he uses very technical language to explain this point. He, he says that, Fouc that power isn't simply reducible to the sovereign, which is the ruler we talked about, yep. but it's also not reducible to the laws, the juridical. Yeah. So what should we focus on instead? And he, and, and he puts forward a number of interesting observations mm. and, and provocations. Mm. He says, well, why don't we just also look at how power is actually constituted how what are the techniques of power hmm. how does power work on us is it simply the case that there's this law that's that's passed and then we all hmm. follow it and then that's the end of the story he says no because hmm. power works in much more subtle ways yeah power and and the, this is captured in a number of passages in this particular text yeah and so he talks about how he wants to understand power by looking at its extremities. Yeah. Uh, he talks about how yeah. power can become cap capillary. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think that's a key point. So he promotes an ascending view of power. So he says, when you start your analysis, you should look at the bottom. Look at the actual relations people have and how they exercise power over one another. But there are obviously other aspects at play here. It's mm. not a random thing who has power. When two people enter into a relationship, yeah. it's kind of predictable who's going to be the more powerful person. And it's not just about who's physically bigger. So there are other things involved here. And so, I mean, one of those absolutely massive things is, is the knowledge that's produced in a society and, and the position people have because of that knowledge. Yeah, so the, the picking up on the first point you make, mm. power, even though he says that power emanates throughout the social body, mm. he doesn't think it's distributed in an anarchic fashion. No. Or in also in a democratic fashion. It's mm. not 
it's it's not simply the case that we all have an equal amount of power, or that we have, or, or that power is expressed equally by all of us. Yes. Okay. And by the way, I should also mention he doesn't also like when we think of power as being held as something possessed,、no. right? It's a relational thing. It's a relational thing.、Yeah. Okay. See, he's trying to focus in on here、mm-hmm. how there are social inequalities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that are central to our understanding of power. Yeah. So, for instance, with that example you had before of two kids fighting over a ball, you could imagine a situation in which it's two kids fighting over a soccer ball, and one of them's a young boy and one of them's a young girl, and an adult comes over and instinctively gives the ball to the boy because there's a norm in society, there's a knowledge around what kids should be doing and what toys kids should be playing with. And by the way, I'm not saying this is correct well, or good.、Yeah. Uh, I would be highly critical <laughs> of this. Um, but you could imagine the situation in which the boy, the the ball was just given to the boy. So there's a power relation at play,、yeah. and and the boy's been the one who's gotten the ball here. But it's because of something else, right? It's because of a certain knowledge around families and family structures. So the second part of your earlier point is 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 really is a really insightful one. You know, Foucault is trying to link power with knowledge.、Mm. Power is never can be divorced from knowledge. And what is knowledge? Knowledge is what we know to be true. It's what、mm-hmm. we understand. It's our it's our understanding of reality. And so, Foucault has all these fantastic, fantastic statements in this text. He describes how power is oftentimes based on regimes of truth.、Mm. What we know to be true very much affects the power relations and dynamics in our lives.、Mm. And that makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, and, and this is also him trying to say that power is productive. We oftentimes think of power、mm. as being this repressive thing that prevents、yeah. us from doing things. Yeah. But he's like, think about all the things power produces.、Yeah. It produces how what the things we know, and、yeah. and and how do things we know affect how、yeah. we behave and. Affects our relations with others. I mean, it's pretty self-evident, but it's all. I mean, can you think of any examples of how power and knowledge affects how we yeah, behave? Yeah. So, I mean, all all of the knowledge around、uh, economic relations in society and and、mm. the the discourse of of economics and capitalism in our society. Make certain statements like earning a lot of money、uh, is a good thing and something someone should aspire to do.、Yeah. That's the truth. You can say that to anyone and they will agree with you.、Yeah. And Foucault would say that's not inherently or naturally true. That's true because there's a discourse, a broader collection of ideas surrounding、mm-hmm. it that that make it appear true.、Good. And because of that. It means that I'm going to spend my life trying to achieve that goal. I'm going to try and work hard, earn money, go to university. I'm going to do lots of different things because there's a discourse, an economic discourse in play that makes that statement, that idea true. It creates me as an individual in some ways. Yeah, and I would also just like to say that when it comes to this idea that power and knowledge are linked,、mm-hmm. he's not trying to say that there are some forms of Knowledge that upend power, or that you know, when we think of oftentimes knowledge, we think of like some types of knowledge that can upset the order.、Mm. His argument is that all forms of knowledge, even the ones that seem liberating, they institute some type of power relation. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Right, and, they're and, all and, productive. It never ends.、Yeah. There's no point in which there's no power dynamic、mm. ever. Yeah, because. 
every single relationship for Foucault is, is in some way an expression of power in which one person uh, influences another. And there's always resistance as well as another thing Foucault talks about. And every relationship is to some extent informed by the knowledge that surrounds it, by what position those two people are. I mean, when we look at someone in society, we ask who they are and we define them by the jobs they do or the identities they have. All of those things are defined by the knowledge we have that surround them. So to recap, on the one hand, we have this understanding of power that's very much top down. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, a sovereign understanding of power, mm -hmm. and then we have a more bottom-up one. Mm -hmm. How do the two? How are the two linked? Because the bottom-up one is, is it's it's much more relational. Yeah, it's much more based on the internalized mm. things that people know and believe. Um, but mm. how does that link at all? Like, how well, how is the production of knowledge linked to mm. broader yeah. inequalities that exist in society? Well. I'm not sure um, whether Foucault, through this reading, would would necessarily link sovereign power. Not sovereign power, but, that's but, right. but a top-down form of power, he does link, and he links in a really interesting fashion. So he still says power relations are a bottom-up thing. He says they start in a bottom-up way within families, all these local structures. But he says there are points in history in which powerful players, he refers to the bourgeoisie, but we could extend it out to any sort of different person or group that are powerful notice power relations that are existing and invest in them because they see them as being really beneficial. So, I mean, in this, he talks about the repression of sexuality and he also talks about certain disciplinary techniques. He talks about madness being turned into a, um, a mental, uh, a, um, a health issue as opposed to being left alone. Mm -hmm. And he says with, with all of these things, what's happening is that there are powerful players in the bourgeoisie that are seeing these new power relations developing and they're mm -hmm. investing in them because they can use them to train workers. They can use them to encourage people to behave in ways that make them a lot of money. Yeah, there's that great quote. He says, the bourgeoisie is not interested in the mad but it is interested in the power over the mad. Mm -hmm. The bourgeoisie is not interested in the sexuality of children, but it is interested in the system of power that controls the sexuality of children. Mm -hmm. And this has to do really then with understanding of power not being simply mm -hmm. repressive, mm -hmm. but somehow being normalizing. Yeah. Right, this idea that power can be normalized. And think about it. When there's a normal state of affairs, mm -hmm. what appears normal isn't that a great way in which power can be expressed? Yeah. Because it's almost, because, you know, like when it comes to sovereign power, you can, it's much more yeah. like evident, isn't it? Yeah. You have a decree from some yeah. body saying, you need to do this. Yeah. And you think, my freedoms are being trampled. Yeah. Now? It's all very obvious. <laughs> and, but, and it's expensive as well. How much energy do, does everyone need to put in? Someone needs to be monitoring populations. Someone needs to be punishing people who transgress the rules. Mm. Whereas if you create a structure, say an education system, that teaches people to behave in certain ways yeah. and makes people want to behave in certain ways, be good citizens, get jobs, earn money, pay taxes, then that's an expression of power that's sneaky. You don't really see it happening, but it is happening. You're being produced as a certain type of person, and it's because of the ideas in society it's because of what you think is truthful. I think that's a good segue to lead us into the segment we like to call Say What? 
where we look at a quote in need of further explanation. I have one in front of me. Foucault writes, To sum up these five methodological precautions, let me say that rather than orienting our research into power towards the juridical edifice of sovereignty, state apparatuses, and the ideologies that accompany them, I think we should orient our analysis of power towards material operations, forms of subjugation, and the connections among and the uses made of the local systems of subjugation on the one hand, and apparatuses of knowledge on the other. In short, we have to abandon the model of the Leviathan. Do you think this is a good encapsulation of what he's really trying to argue in this lecture? I mean, I do. It's typical uh, language, Foucauldian language. (laughs) So it takes a little bit of probing, but you can pick out the key parts to it there. So moving away from sovereign forms of power, that top-down power expressed by a single person or institution, and really focusing on how power works through subjugation. And subjugation are processes of power that produce individuals, that encourage people to Mm. behave in certain ways. It's still a form of domination. People are still being dominated, but they're being dominated by, you know, being told that they should be doing this and then internalizing it and then wanting to behave in that way. So, And Foucault really, you know, explored this topic in a number of his works. Mm. He was trying to understand how subtle forms of power that exist um, can be found in a, in a number of different arenas of our lives. So we looked yeah. at, you know, sexuality and, and the knowledges of sexuality and how that was involved in the instituting of a certain particular type of power dynamic. Yeah. He was also interested in things like madness and psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we'll come to see in a different episode of mm-hmm. Lou and the Sioux, and he was also interested in how power can mm-hmm. be constituted through discipline mm-hmm. and um, and 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 specifically, he was interested mm. in how prisons mm. help us understand how power is expressed in the contemporary mm. modern world. And and I think that really brings into focus uh, a part of this process, this this production of power that we haven't touched upon too much yet, and that is the disciplines themselves, whether it's systems of medicine, psychiatry, education. Mm. When we think about what the connection is between those local power relations and then some form of a more overarching influence, how, how are those discourses around how people should behave produced? Well, they're produced by the discipline. Certain types of behavior is yeah. defined by medicine as not only wrong, but as sick, mm. as something you shouldn't do. I mean, in his writing, one thing he talks about is the way within medicine, at times, homosexuality was described as a sickness. People were deemed to be mm. unwell if, if they were gay, which thankfully is something that medicine has moved far away from now. Um, and that's another aspect of his work, that this, because truth isn't a natural thing, it can change. It's malleable over time. Yeah. Uh, and so hopefully you get a glimpse from this lecture. Uh, Foucault's work is extremely innovative. It is sometimes difficult mm. to wrap your head around, but if you stick with it, if you do enough probing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> some interesting insights will eventuate. Uh, and hopefully this podcast has done the same today. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Lou and the Sioux is a sociology podcast hosted by Eric Sue and Louis Everest. It's produced and edited by Eric Sue, with special assistance from UniSA Online and UniSA Justice and Society. 
To learn more about studying sociology and other programs online or in person at the University of South Australia, visit unisa.edu.au where you can search for more details. Loon the Sioux is primarily recorded on the lands of the Ghana people. The hosts of the podcast would like to pay their respects to elders past, present, and emerging. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more about the podcast, visit our website at sociologypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.